Lesson 3 for July 13 through to 19, Sabbath, a day of freedom, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, July 13. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word again and we look at the important reasons for keeping the Sabbath, the benefits of the Sabbath, and what your word says about it, we pray that our hearts may be enriched and that your word may come alive for each of us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Let's read that again, Mark 2:27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath as the final act of the creation week. It has been said that on the seventh day, God not only rested, but he created rest as an integral part of the way that the world was to be. The Sabbath was a demonstration of how we were created to interact with God and with each other. So it is hardly surprising to find the Sabbath as one of the commandments in God's plan for his people, appearing early on in the establishment of the new Israelite nation. It was to have a pivotal role in the life of the Hebrews. Often when we talk about the Sabbath, the conversation quickly moves to how to keep it. What are the things that we should not do and the like? However important these questions are, we need to understand the integral role that the Sabbath was designed to play in the world and in the lives of God's people as a symbol of God's grace and provision. As Jesus said, the Seventh-day Sabbath was created for all humanity. When we truly remember the Sabbath day, it will change us every day of the week, and, as Jesus demonstrated, it can be a means of blessing others as well. Sunday, July 14, Manna Enough After generations of slavery and the social degradation that such a condition could inflict on his oppressed people, God sought to lift up the newly freed Israelites, pointing them to a better way of living and giving them laws for the best ordering of their new society. But one of the first parts of this process came in the form of a practical and instructive object lesson. Continuing for the full forty years of their wilderness wanderings, this rhythm of life, visible evidence of God's provision and practised unselfishness, should have become part of the culture of Israelite society. It came in the form of manna, a food that appeared each morning on the ground around the Israelites' camp. Question. Read Exodus chapter 16, verses 16 through to 18. What do you think is the significance of the specific measure for each person emphasized in these verses? Exodus 16, beginning at verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather in according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and gathered, some more, some less. 
So, when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 to 15, Paul references this story as an example of how Christians should give. The whole section reads, beginning at verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And as it says in uh, the New International Version for verse 14, At the present time your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. The lesson for the Israelites and us was that God has provided sufficiently for his people and his creation. If we take only what we need and are prepared to share our excess with others, all will be cared for and provided for. Taking only enough for the day required the people to trust that there would be more the following day. Oppressed people, such as the Israelite slaves, tend to focus on their own survival, but God wanted to demonstrate to them a life of trust, generosity, and sharing. But there was also another, more remarkable dimension to this practice. Each Friday, a double portion of manna appeared on the ground, and on that day, and only that day, the people were to collect the extra manna in preparation for the Sabbath. The special provision for the Sabbath became an additional way for them to learn to trust the Lord for all their needs. This extra portion of manna, an act of grace on God's part, enabled them to enjoy even more fully the rest that God had promised them on the seventh-day Sabbath. So to finish the day, what can we do on Fridays that will help us better enjoy what God offers us on Sabbath? Monday, July 15, Two Reasons for Sabbath Question, read Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, and Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through to 15. How do these two versions of the fourth commandment complement each other? Exodus chapter 20, 
beginning at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, for your, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remembering is an important part of the relationship that God seeks to re-establish with His people, a relationship centered on the fact that God is our Creator and Redeemer. Both roles appear in the two versions of the fourth commandment and are thus linked closely with Sabbath and its practice. Coming out of a land dominated by so many false gods, the Israelites needed to be reminded of the true God's role as the Creator. The Sabbath was a crucial way to do that, made all the more significant in the context of the weekly cycle of providing extra manna on Friday, a powerful example of his creative power. In the Exodus 20 version of the fourth commandment, God as our Creator is revealed most clearly. By contrast, their rescue, redemption and salvation is the focus of the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy 5. This was a story that the Israelites were to retell regularly. They could reconnect with it especially every Sabbath. Their first story was one of actual physical rescue from slavery in Egypt. But as their understanding of God and His salvation grew, Sabbath also had become a weekly symbol and celebration of their spiritual salvation. Both of these motivations for Sabbath were about restoring the relationship between God and His people. Ezekiel 20 verse 12 reads, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us, so they would know that I the Lord made them holy. And, as we have seen, this was never about this group of people only. On the foundation of this relationship, they were to establish a new kind of society, one that was kind to outsiders and a blessing to the wider world. Deuteronomy 5.15 in the NIV reads, Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. By keeping the Sabbath as a way of remembering and celebrating both our creation and redemption, we can continue to grow in our relationship, not only with the Lord, but with those around us. God is gracious to us. Therefore, we need to be gracious to others. So to finish today. In what ways should Sabbath-keeping make us kinder, better, more caring, and compassionate people? 
Tuesday, July 16, a day of equality. One of the things obvious from a quick reading of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5 is that the fourth commandment is the most detailed by far. Whereas some of the commandments are recorded in as few as three words in some versions, in the Hebrew some can be expressed in only two words, the fourth commandment gives space to the why, how and who of remembering the Sabbath day. Question. Read Exodus 20 verses 8 to 11 again. What does it say about the servants and strangers, even animals? And what does it mean? Exodus 20, beginning at verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Notable among these Sabbath details is the focus on others. S. K. Tonstad argues that this kind of command is unique among all the cultures of the world. The Sabbath commandment, he explains, prioritizes from the bottom up and not from the top looking down, giving first considerations to the weakest and most vulnerable members of society, those who need rest the most, the slave, the resident alien and the beast of burden, are singled out for special mention. In the rest of the seventh day, the underprivileged, even mute animals, find an ally. That's from The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day, published by Andrews University Press in 2009, pages 126 and 127. The commandment has a special focus on urging that the Sabbath is a day to be enjoyed by everyone. In the light of the Sabbath, we are all equal. If you are an employer during the week, you have no authority to make your employees work on Sabbath, and that's because God gave them, too, a day of rest. If you are an employee, or even a slave, for the rest of your days, the Sabbath reminds you that you are equally created and redeemed by God, and God invites you to celebrate in ways other than your usual duties. Even those outside the Sabbath-keeping people, any foreigner residing in your towns, it says in verse 10, should benefit from the Sabbath. This idea would have been a remarkable change of perspective for the Israelites, fresh from their own experiences of slavery and marginalization. Now that they were to be established in a new land, God did not want them to adopt the habits of their former oppressors. As well as giving them detailed laws for their society, he gave them, all of us actually, a weekly reminder, in a powerful way, of just how equal we all are before God. So to finish the day, how can you share the Sabbath in your community? Meaning, how can others in your community benefit from your Sabbath-keeping?
Wednesday, July 17, A Day of Healing While the original vision for the Sabbath and Sabbath-keeping was broad and inclusive, the Sabbath had become something quite different for many of the religious leaders by the time Jesus came to earth. Instead of a day of freedom and equality, Sabbath had become a day of human traditional rules and restrictions. In his day, Jesus stood out against such attitudes, especially as they were imposed on others. How interesting that he did this most significantly by performing a number of healings on Sabbath. It seems that Jesus intentionally performed these miracles on Sabbath as opposed to any other day to demonstrate something important about what the Sabbath should be. Often in these stories, Jesus made comments about the appropriateness of healing on Sabbath, and often the Pharisees used his statements as an excuse to further their plots to have Jesus killed. Question. Read the stories of Jesus' Sabbath healings in Matthew 12, Mark 1, Mark 3 and John 9. What are the most significant things you notice in these stories? First of all, Matthew 12, verses 9 through to 13. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And Mark 1, beginning at verse 21 through to 26. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 through to verse 6. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. And in John chapter 9, verses 1 through to 16. 
Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbours and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Jesus confirmed that the Sabbath is important. We need to put boundaries around Sabbath time to keep it special and to allow this weekly time to be an opportunity to grow our relationships with God, our families, our church and our community. But Sabbath-keeping should not be selfishly about just us. As Jesus said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath in Matthew 12, verse 12. Many church members do much good work to care for others, but many of us also feel that we should do more to help. We know God cares about those who are hurting, oppressed or forgotten, and that we should care too. Because we are commanded not to pursue our regular work and are freed from the pressures of the week, on Sabbath we are given time to focus on this concern for others as one of the ways of true and active Sabbath-keeping, as we read in Welfare Ministry, page 77. According to the fourth commandment, the Sabbath was dedicated to rest and religious worship. All secular employment was to be suspended, but works of mercy and benevolence were in accordance with the purpose of the Lord. To relieve the afflicted, to comfort the sorrowing, is a labour of love that does honour to God's holy day. End of quote. So to finish today, what do you do for the good of others on Sabbath?
Thursday, July 18, Sabbath rest for the land. As we've seen, Sabbath was an ingrained part of the life cycle of the Israelite nation. But the Sabbath principle was not just about a day each week. It also included a special rest every seventh year, culminating in the year of Jubilee after seven sets of seven years, meaning every fiftieth year. Question, read Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. What is remarkable about this kind of instruction? In what possible ways could you incorporate this kind of principle into your life and work? Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 to 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and female servants, your hired men, and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food." The Sabbath year allowed the farmland to lie fallow for the year. It is a remarkable act of stewarding the land, and the wisdom of this as an agricultural practice has been recognised widely. The seventh year was significantly for slaves also. We'll look at that in Exodus 21, verses 1 to 11. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant... He shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him for ever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed." He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And, if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And, if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money." In the event that any of the Israelites became so indebted as to sell themselves into slavery, they were to be freed in the seventh year. 
Similarly, outstanding debts were to be cancelled at the end of the seventh year, as we read in Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 11. At the end of every seven years you shall grant a release of debts, and this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbour shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbour or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner he may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand. And your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, and in all to which you put your hand." For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Like the manna God provided to the Israelites in the wilderness, not planting crops for a season was an act of trust that God would provide enough in the previous year and from what the ground produced for itself in the Sabbath year. Similarly, to release slaves and cancel debts was an act of mercy, but also an act of trust in the power of God to provide for our needs. In a sense, the people needed to learn that they didn't have to oppress others in order to provide for themselves. The principles and pattern of the Sabbath were to be closely tied to the structure of the Israelite society as a whole. Similarly, contemporary Sabbath-keeping should be a spiritual discipline that transforms all our other days. In a practical sense, the Sabbath is one way of living out Jesus' instructions to seek first his kingdom. As we read in Matthew six thirty-two and 33, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and he will give you everything you need. So to finish the day. What difference should keeping the Sabbath make to the other six days of the week? After all, if you are greedy, selfish and uncaring from Sunday through Friday, what does it really matter if you are none of these things on Sabbath? Or, truly, you can not be those things on Sabbath, even if you are that way the rest of the week.
Friday, July 19. From the book The Desire of Ages, page 206 and 207, we read, Jesus stated to them that the work of relieving the afflicted was in harmony with the Sabbath law. It was in harmony with the work of God's angels who were ever descending and ascending between heaven and earth to minister to suffering humanity. And man also has a work to perform on this day. The necessities of life must be attended to, the sick must be cared for, the wants of the needy must be supplied. He will not be held guiltless who neglects to relieve suffering on the Sabbath. God's holy rest day was made for man, and acts of mercy are in perfect harmony with its intent. God does not desire his creatures to suffer an hour's pain that may be relieved upon the Sabbath or any other day. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. In what ways have you experienced the Sabbath as a demonstration of your trust in God? Have you had a manner-like experience in your life where God has provided in response to your trust in Him? If so, share it with the class and tell them what you have learned. 2. As we have seen in the fourth commandment as found in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, God emphasized different aspects of Sabbath. What is the one aspect of Sabbath that you most appreciate? Let's just refresh there. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. And Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by the mighty hand and by an outstretched arm." Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. 3. In class or individually, brainstorm some ways you can share the blessings and benefits of the Sabbath in your community. 4. What are some of the ways the Sabbath changes your life? Are there other parts of your life in which the patterns and principles of the Sabbath should have a greater impact? And to summarise this week's lesson... God gave the Sabbath as a way of remembering creation and redemption, but it also has many practical benefits. It teaches us to trust in God's provision for us, it teaches us to practice equality, and it can become a spiritual discipline that can transform all our relationships. Jesus demonstrated his ideal for the Sabbath by healing the sick and emphasizing the Sabbath as a day to benefit those in need.
Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Snakebite Transforms Village and it's by Wilson Sapogo. Sunda Rayo, a 27-year-old farm worker, was intrigued when a white man showed up at his Indian village and read about a creator god from a black book on Saturdays. Sunda was attracted to U.S. missionary Theodore R. Flazer's Bible stories and decided to follow his god. Sunda's employer was furious when he didn't go to the field the first Sabbath. His anger grew as Sunda kept refusing to work on Saturdays. At home, Sunda angered his relatives by no longer participating in family religious festivals, including the worship of Naga, a snake god. After a time, Sunda sought peace by building a house just beyond the brook that marked the village's border. Soon he got married and had a daughter. One day, when Sunda was 29, his employer asked him to work on a Saturday. After your worship ends on Saturday, come and help count bales of hay, he demanded. Sunda reluctantly obeyed. He arrived at the field after sunset, but before darkness had set in. With help from others, he counted the bales. Noticing a small bale off to one side, he kicked it toward a larger bale. In a split second, a young cobra sprang from the bale, struck him on the leg, and fled. No medical help was available, and Sunda knew he would die soon. The villagers had no doubt that Nagar was punishing him. Nagar is very angry at you, one said. It's because you disobeyed all the village gods, said another. Sunda started to sweat. Formerly estranged family members gathered around him and wept. The village waited for him to close his eyes and die. But nothing happened. A snakebite specialist was summoned to check his leg. He was astounded at what he found. He declared that the cobra had struck Sunda with the top of his mouth, not with the poisonous fangs, and had fled in fright without trying to bite a second time. The next day, the villagers were amazed to see that Sunda was healthy and happy. The protection of the white man's god has saved him from the cobra bite, they said. From that moment, in 1957, many villagers joined Sunda in keeping the Sabbath. Five years after the snake bite, I was born to Sunda. Today, Gudum Madhavaram is an Adventist village. It has produced 40 pastors and Bible workers and many educators and health professionals. On Saturdays, the whole village stops to worship the Creator God. This is the power of God who turned a snake bite into a blessing. And Wilson Miyasapogu is Executive Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's Southern Asia Division, whose territory includes India. His father died in 2017 at the age of 77. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.